The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather in the spirit of one who sang, finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, service, and ministry in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your very presence here with us in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Together, may we pray. O oh God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because in our weakness, we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace, that in keeping your commandments, we may please you both in will and deed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. In our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our despair and against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Forgive the first person singular for a moment, but not long ago, I had an epiphany. An epiphany and in epiphany. Like some of you listening right now, I was on Route 90. Like some of you listening right now, I was headed east on that highway. Like some of you now, I was enjoying the beauty of a winter day. When, how, who knows? A moment of clarity, a moment of insight, a moment of wisdom came after months of rumination. This moment in worship with which we begin is meant as a possibility for such a moment of clarity. It was Robert Kennedy in the tragic evening of Martin Luther King's assassination who reminded us of Aeschylus. In our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our despair and against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. As the choir guides us, may we bow in prayer.
grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of these days, for the living of these days. Beloved, hear good news if we confess our sins. God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not love or live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. from um, Psalm 119 with the Antiphon. those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole hearts. Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. And I shall not be put to shame. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous ordinances. I will observe your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Glory to you, o Lord. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The Gospel of the Lord.
Please be seated. <clears throat> Here today, the good news of the language of the beloved community, Matthew 5, 21 to 26, in exegesis, explanation, and application. First exegesis. Matthew is a teacher. His own gospel is a didactic one. He is teaching about the person of Christ and the proclamation of Christ, as here in chapter five, and then the passion of Christ. Matthew is organized around at least five narratives and lectures, including a long lecture from a mountain, affirming the jot and tittle of the law, honoring disciples and discipline. Matthew sees the world and its human inhabitants as a schoolroom filled with students, and he is a teacher, and we are his students, and he wants us to learn. In our passage today, Matthew's verses forbid not only the overt crime, but the disposition behind it. The teaching forbids not only the action, but also the attitude behind it. Killing is a result of anger. Insult is a result of anger. Denigration is a result of anger. It is the soul, what is down deep, the heart, what is at the core and center of being that is truly at stake day by day. Our gospel today teaches us. Be careful, be careful. Be careful that you do not take the pose of what you oppose, that you do not conform to what you criticize, that you do not come to resemble what you resist. The organization you resist, you may come to resemble. The point of view you resist, you may come to resemble. When you wrestle with an angel, you may take on an angelic blessing, but when you grapple with a demon, you may become demonically misshapen. So yes, let us memorize the Beatitudes, for they are the spiritual charter of the kingdom. Yes, let us remember that St. Matthew has two interests, the good news of Jesus and the church of Jesus, and neither is ever very far out of his field of vision. These verses, Matthew 5 and following, carry to us, without much need for interpretation, warnings against an over-involvement in worldly goods. St. Teresa of Avila will also teach us so and more so coming this Lent. After all, these crucial teachings are given directly to the disciples themselves and only directly to others near and far, early and late. Now you are well aware, Marsh Chapel, you blessed and astute hermeneutes, that at least three options are available to you as you think about how to think about how to think about the teachings of Jesus recorded in Matthew's, Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. First, you may take these sentences straight and expect that the gospel expects us to live them out fully through and through, you Methodist perfectionist, you. Second, you may take these sentences on the curve and expect that they, being largely impossible to fulfill, are meant to remind us of our abject need for grace, you Lutheran, Protestant, you. Third, you may take these sentences as interim ethic, meant in full only for those who are expecting to see the end of time in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and now superannuated by later scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, you Catholic historian, you. With some meager attention to the first two, as you know, I think the third is most true. 
already a few verses after our passage in the teaching on divorce, which in Mark and Luke is a pure prohibition, no, we have the opening of qualifications, even in the interim. There are more reasons for divorce than unchastity alone, for sure. Abuse, for starters. Divorce is never a good thing, but it is sometimes the best thing. So be careful with these verses. As Christopher Stendhal said of some such passages, I believe it is the word of God, but not the word of God for me right now, right here. So exegesis. Second, explanation. Some time ago, we hosted a June wedding here in Marsh Chapel. The bride from San Antonio, Texas, and the groom from San Diego had met here at Boston University just months before graduation. Each needed just a couple of extra credits to graduate in May. So independently, not yet ever having met, they scoured the course offerings and creatively both settled on a course in ice skating. Neither had ever laced up skates, ice being harder to find in San Diego and San Antonio than, say, Boston. And they appeared at the rink, they found their skates, laced them, and hobbled onto the rink. And there, quickly, they fell into each other's arms, literally so. After the gracious reverent wedding, one of her relatives, a stocky, barrel-chested Texan, confronted the minister, asking, what is he doing here? You know, him, our 16th president, Mr. Lincoln. Why is he here? Why is he in here? Well, this involves some ancient history of Daniel Marsh and his choices of two windows to go along with the inherited others along the nave, one for Francis Willard, a prohibitionist, a gay feminist suffragette protector of women and children prohibitionist, and the other for Lincoln, who freed the slaves and preserved the Union. Our Texas cousin, as it turned out, a really kind and gracious soul, was not dyspeptic to greet Honest Abe here. He just was curious. He wanted to know. The separation of church and state has never meant anything like the separation of a Christian from her politics, the opposite. Francis Willard and Abraham Lincoln are here with us every Sunday, listening to the choir, enduring the sermon, observing the congregation, right here to remind us so. That is, Willard and Lincoln bar the door here from those who would enter or stay on the supposition that one can practice faith apart from the gnawing claims of justice. It is true, justice is a part of the gospel, not the heart of the gospel. The heart is love, agape. But it is also true that real religion is never very far from justice. For those who might wish for one or the other, well, Lincoln and Willard might want a word with you following worship. No. Religion, Christianity, Protestantism, Methodism, Marsh Chapel, all affirm a rooted synergy of deep personal faith and active social involvement. Worship. Its order and beauty and rhythm and depth and all, concluding with the majestic organ postlude, can and should nourish us, bathe us, and steady us, but can never protect us from our daily round. We will head out again tomorrow to see what we can resurrect from the rubble of the republic Ben Franklin gave us 
if you can keep it, said he. Here in Matthew, it is not just shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue that gets you in trouble, whether or not you lose a single New Hampshire vote. It's not just the action, it's the attitude, it's anger when expressed to a faithful sibling that brings judgment. It is insult when poured onto a sister or brother that brings arraignment. It is derogatory rhetoric when inflicted on one's fellow that brings hellfire. You go from accuser to judge to guard to prison, accuser to judge to guard to prison. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's most creative contribution to our Holy Bible, will go on to attack adultery, lust, divorce, perjury, and swearing. This is Matthew being Matthew. But before any of that comes, quietly, a gospel word about language, about the beloved community, and it's your language, and about the roots of anger and insult and derogation. Why? Because according to the scriptures, we are meant to live in beloved community. Because according to the Wesleys, we are meant to live in beloved community. Because according to what we most truly want today in our heart of hearts, we are meant to live in beloved community. Because you were in church last Sunday, right? The Sermon on the Mount is written out as addressed to you, plural. These are words for community, in community, to community, by community, addressed to and addressable community. They are the language of the beloved community. We should take an open space here at BU somewhere and devote it to the beloved community, our heritage in full, our heritage. Yes, in our time. Yes, with Thurman and King. Yes, with the founding and leadership of Boston University. Yes, with the preaching and singing Wesley Brothers. Yes, across the long expanse of history and religion. Yes, in the Holy Scripture, including Matthew, but most deeply within the Gospel of John. Maybe we could put this in the room where the Howard Thurman Center once was. Beloved community. Andrew Basevich, in his newest book, The Age of Illusions, starts with compunction. Says he, we suffer from too much hubris and too little hope. Our hubris as a people and our lack as a people of a common hope. Read the language of the beloved community. Too much pride, too little prospect. As Benjamin Friedman wrote some years ago in The Moral Consequences of Economic Growth, times of plenty, like 2020, we might add, are meant not for hubris, but for hope. They are times when the resources are around to take the world and make it young again. So, explanation. Third, application. Now of a certain age, some of us can look back on three impeachment moments in a lifetime. All of them were accompanied by voices out of Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount voices, voices trained in the language of the beloved community. In 1974, some of us listened to a former Attorney General of the United States who spoke at Gray Chapel, Ohio Wesleyan University, he spoke for more than an hour without notes. Both his daughter and his son, fine people by the way, were students at that small college at that time 
and were sitting proudly in the front row. Richard Nixon was in the throes of impending impeachment. It was a bitter time. His former attorney general speaking to us that evening, a loyal and staunch conservative, was speaking on a particular theme. And his theme is as crystalline today as it was almost 50 years ago, forgiving the antique language. He said, this is a country of law and not of men. For 70 minutes, with real feeling and keen mind, he traced that theme into our memories. This is a country of law, not of men. After the Watergate burglary, he had been asked to pass over the regular rules of policing to protect his president. Though a staunch conservative, a rock rib Republican, he did not. An Arizona native, a Harvard Law graduate, an attorney general, a proud Republican, he would not forsake principle. As a consequence, in part, his party's president fell to the fear of impeachment. This is Richard Kleindienst, who was later convicted, not regarding Watergate, but regarding an ITT business deal, but whose sentence and fine were annulled, here accepting for himself the theme of that evening, a country of laws, not of individuals only. Nixon retaliated by removing him on the same day as he did Ehrlichman and Haldeman. There is a living tradition on the right in this country, a deep, true, thin tradition of speaking justly against injustice. We on the left should honor that memory. By the way, about five years ago, I was trying to remember our graduation speaker two years later, Ohio Wesley in 1976, about which moment I had exactly zero, exactly no memory at all. Seniors among us be prepared for May, bring a notebook. <laughs> so I explored a few years ago on the interweb and found out that our speaker was a lawyer whose name was Robert Bork. My, my. In 1998, some of us had publicly called for Mr. Clinton to resign from office facing impeachment on the basis of decency, morality, and honor. He did not. Think, by the way, of what would have been different had he done so. Gore running as an incumbent, no 2,000 defeat by 600 votes from dangling chads in Broward County, no Vice President Cheney, no vehement warmongering after 9-11, no alchemistic concoction of imaginary weapons of mass destruction, no George Bush, no shadow for Hillary to run under, but no. It was a bitter time. That Labor Day, if memory serves, a centrist Orthodox Jew and a U.S. Senator came home from a family weekend, I believe on Cape Cod, and prepared a speech which he delivered the next day in the Senate demanding accountability from his own party's president, saying, after much reflection, my feelings of disappointment and anger have not dissipated, except now these feelings have gone beyond my personal dismay to a larger, graver sense of loss for our country, a reckoning of the damage that the president's conduct has done to the proud legacy of his presidency and ultimately 
an accounting of the impact of his actions on our democracy and its moral foundations. The implications for our country are so serious that I feel a responsibility to my constituents in Connecticut, as well as to my conscience, to voice my concerns forthrightly and publicly. I can think of no more appropriate place to do that than on this great Senate floor. It was a courageous, thankless, painful, and much needed correction. So many had passed by the long-term consequences of that earlier presidential misuse of office with, in retrospect, baleful reasons. But Senator Joe Lieberman spoke and wrote, not in anger or in insult or in diatribe, but with earnest, sincere care. His righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now again in 2020, those within the party in power have been put before the long mirror of the Sermon on the Mount to see how they would reflect and be reflected in history. It is a bitter time. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to perdition and many there be who go therein, but narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life and few there be who find it. That narrowness has everything to do with God, scripture, faith, conscience, and courage in real time. What an Episcopalian did in 1974 and what an Orthodox Jew did in 1998, a Mormon did in 2020. Maybe they all, out of their inherited religious traditions, drew on the memory of being outsiders, of being poor, of being powerless. There is Kleindienst, I can see him sweating and speaking and his kids both proud and crying, 1974. There is Lieberman, I can feel the terse intensity of his prose, virtually alone among his fellow Dem Democrats, willing to call abuse, abuse, in 1998. And now comes a former governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, standing alone in the well of the Senate, emotional, dog-tired, red-eyed, and firm, knowing there will be costs and consequences, saying things about conscience, saying things about faith, saying things about God. Were I to ignore the evidence that has been presented and disregard what I believe my oath in the Constitution demands of me for the sake of a partisan end, it would, I fear, expose my character to history's rebuke and the censure of my own conscience. There is still a lot of good in this country for all the losses of these years. There is still a lot of good in this country for all the losses of these years. For those of us who are liberal, we owe it to ourselves and to the honest truth to record and recall that conservatives of character remain I have seen it with my own now dimming eyes. I have heard it with my own now failing ears. I have kept it in my own now flagging memory. Kleindienst, Lieberman, Romney, an Episcopalian, an Orthodox Jew, a Mormon, quite a trio. Three who knew the grammar, syntax, and spelling, the language of the beloved community. Three who knew the grammar, syntax, and spelling, the language 
of the beloved community. So, application. And we close. We hope for a beloved community devoted to healing climate change, a beloved community devoted to nuclear peace, a beloved community devoted to the language of grace, a beloved community devoted to equality, a beloved community where those who have much have not too much, and those who have little have not too little, a beloved community devoted to learning and virtue and piety, a beloved community honoring women, protecting children, embracing the elderly, a beloved community not of this world only, but of this, of this world as a field of formation for another, not just creation, but new creation, not just life, but eternal life, not just health, but salvation, not just heart, but soul, not just earth, but heaven. How are we ever going to get there? Maybe by remembering and singing with James Weldon Johnson, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who hast blessed us thus far along the way, thou who hast by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray, lest our feet stray from the places, O God, where we met thee, lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand, true to our God, true to our native land. Sursum corda, lift up your hearts. Hear the gospel of the language of the beloved community. Amen. Now we come to a time in our service when we turn our hearts and mind to prayer and live off our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and a posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, leading, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy. 
hear our prayer. Guide the people in this land and all nations in the ways, ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Give us all our reverence for the earth as our own, as our, your creation, that we may use it resources righteously in the service of another's and to your honor and glory, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. God of peace, you show, show solidarity with all who suffer. Bring an end to violence, war, discrimination, and all other forms of deadly hate, that we may experience your love through the power of justice. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. God of hope, you pro provide bountiful for all people. Use our lives to alleviate global injustice and eliminate poverty, that all benefit for the abundance of gifts you pour out for your people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Bless all whose lives are closely linked to us and grant that we may serve Christ in them and love one another as he have loved us. Amen. And as our Savior Christ have taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, our earth is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Good morning. We welcome you again to the nave of Marsh Chapel on this sixth Sunday after Epiphany. We value your presence with us, whether you are seated here in the pews, listening live on the radio or live stream, or later via our podcast. In a spirit of friendship, we ask those of you seated in the pews that you locate the red booklets at the end of each pew toward the center aisle and enter your name and contact information. This helps us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. Today at 12.30 p.m. in Robinson Chapel, which is downstairs, Eva Natalie McDonald will be welcomed into the Fellowship of Christ through Holy Baptism. All are welcome to attend. Tomorrow, in observation of President's Day, the Marsh Chapel offices will be closed. Students are reminded that even though Tuesday will follow a Monday schedule of classes, Marsh Chapel's regular Tuesday offerings will still occur. So even though it's a VU Monday, it's still Tuesday here. The season of Lent is almost upon us, and with that comes our annual emailed Lenten devotional series. This year's series is entitled Braving the Elements, based on the concept of the season of Lent as an experience of wandering through the wilderness. Each week we will engage different elemental features of the earth as they are represented in the Bible and the God-human relationship tied to them. If you are interested in receiving these daily devotionals, please visit the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where you can sign up. Those of you already on the devotional list should have received an email this past week letting you know that you are already signed up. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, may we remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
Creator of the universe, who grounds our being and imbues existence with meaning, use our charitable gifts so that we can continue to be a place of divine love and hospitality for those around us, and for every student who has traveled along here during their spiritual journeys. Through Christ, the one whose journey exemplified the love divine, amen. malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us press on to finish the work that we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who will have borne the battle, and for his widow, and for his orphan, and to do all that may achieve a just and lasting peace for ourselves and for all the nations. Amen.